guys, welcome to another edition of the Urban Roaster. Tonight's show is brought to you by Virginia Commonwealth Roasters. My roastery. I roast pretty much every bean that comes out of this place. So if you like coffee, you need to go online, go to www.vcr.coffee and order a bag. Use coupon code Urban Roaster to go ahead and save a little bit of money on your first order and subscribe. If you like it, we will ship directly to your door anytime you need it. So again, that's Virginia Commonwealth Roasters. The website is vcr.coffee, and we look forward to seeing you. As we get into this episode, guys, I just want to take a moment and thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about us, and thank you for helping us grow this channel. It keeps going. We keep doing some awesome things. If you're interested in donating, make sure you go online to theurbanroaster.com. There's a donate button right there that will help us continue to grow the channel, continue to get better and better equipment, and help us to just bring the best guests possible. So again, that's theurbanroaster.com. And also, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're telling your friends to subscribe. And we'll just continue doing what we're doing. We are enjoying every moment of this. So I just wanted to come on before we got started with everything and say thank you. My guest tonight, he is the founder of Numology. He's a spiritual guru, a prophet, and we have an awesome time talking about religion. We talk about culture. We talk about politics. We talk about racism. It's a blast. My guest tonight, Mr. Calvin Witcher. I hope you guys enjoy it. You ready? I'm ready, sir. All right. We're live. Hey, how's everyone doing? What's going on, Calvin? <laughs> Nothing <laughs> much, sir. Just here with you, chilling like a villain. <laughs> you know it, like Matt Dillon on penicillin. <laughs> yeah, man. So, <laughs> yeah. We, um, th this is an interesting one because we met one time at Lowe's. At Lowe's. During my tenure, <laughs> um, so to speak. And um, kept in contact a little bit. It was good, yeah. The beauty of social media. Yeah. And um, here we are a couple months later, and I I wanted to get you on here and just kind of talk with you. Um, in learning a little bit about you. <laughs> um, the understatement of the year. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to learn. So <laughs> I saw pneumology. Yes. And you're a spiritual guide? Among um, many things people call me, yes. I've heard prophet. I've I've heard a lot of different terminology. And Why connoisseur, cool black guy. Cool black guy. Oil lover. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's just start there. What is pneumology? Pneumology is, in a sense, my spiritual pet project where I get to play around in the world of the supernatural, philosophy, ideology. Ultimately, I feel like it's 
the place where all of us are trying to find God, trying to discern what the divine is. Um, sometimes we call it a religion. Sometimes okay. we call it a faith, a practice, a philosophy, a way of life. Um, you know, ultimately for me, pneumology is this journey of trying to get a little bit closer to some type of knowledge or understanding what this thing called God is. Okay. Yeah. And then just articulating that in my own unique way. It's me personalizing the entire experience. I got you. Okay. Yeah. So I, in thinking through this, because I, I looked through the website, I listened to the videos. It's kind of cryptic. The videos. It's very cryptic. It's very prophetic. It's like you got to be able to translate it with 15 scholars. It's yeah. A, it's a thing. Well, <laughs> and you mentioned religion. Yes. I mean, what, what makes a religion a religion? Where's, where's that thought process? You know, what makes a religion, that's a good question. What makes a religion a religion, uh, honestly, is ideology meets community, meets practice. Okay. That, that's pretty much it. It's interesting enough, one thing that's been said before is cult plus time equals religion. So typically, having <laughs> a... Oh, well, that Scientology. Scientology, we might as well just go into it, right? Just yeah. Hit the ground I mean, running. if we're going to just, if just, we're going to go at it. <laughs> just go on with... All the way down the deep end. So, yeah, you know, that's our thing. It's for years. I mean, I came from the Christian community. Yeah. Um, born and raised um, all around my community. Participated in arguably every ministry to be had. I was a, a youth president. I was our minister of music. Okay. Um, I did the audio side yeah. of things for quite a while, AV side of things. Um, I was a youth deacon. Uh, was the choir director. Eventually moved up to being an assistant pastor, associate pastor, eventually pastoring myself. So been there, done that. Um, I actually was a house prophet okay, as well in Tennessee, which is probably a new term for many people that don't understand what that is. And That's going into the charismatic. It's going into charismatic Pentecostal okay. side of things. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm, I'm actually really not new to religion at all. But to fast track it a little bit, when I transitioned outside of the Christian sphere, I found myself really pulling into a community that was always asking me, what do you believe? What do you think? What about this? What, what about the afterlife? What about God? And, you know, all these concepts, which were extremely big, still are very big. So I found a way to disseminate that down in the easiest way possible to pretty much say that this is what we believe in a sense, almost like a belief statement. Yeah. With the church. All the difference is I'm just giving my belief statement a, a name. Yeah. Okay. To en encompass everything. And right now, it's more of like a a working faith and ideology. So it's it's an interesting dynamic because arguably every faith that exists currently exists off of the heels off of a dead prophet. So everyone's yeah. prophet is, is, this is basically true. dead. I mean, everything from Hinduism to Christianity to Judaism. I mean, the... the this goes on and on. Everyone's prophets are dead. So I, I think we're in a unique position because me as the prophet, I'm still living <laughs> and hopefully <laughs> plan to live a lot longer. And so the revelation is coming in real time. I think of it very much like if Jesus were physically around right now, well, what would happen? How would people dictate those words? How would they live by those words? So uh, I'm sure someone will send me some hate mail because I just compared myself to Jesus. But <laughs> such well, <a> fight. so <laughs> so you said you came from the Christian. Absolutely. Um, 
life is ordained the whole nine yards do you still put yourself in that respect where i mean there's a lot of other things to unpack tonight i'm sure we've got time we've got time (laughs) um but you know i'm just coming at this totally blind you know i get to i love it i get to ask the questions that other people would want to ask and I love every one of those questions. Yeah. So where do you where do you see yourself now in the realm of Christianity, outside the realm of Christianity? That's a I great mean, question. The simple answer is part of how I teach and um, philosophically process all spiritual things is that, in essence, we are all perpetuating the best points of our philosophy based upon our understanding. We're all seeking. We yeah. all have some type of consciousness we're striving for some level of personal development we're striving for some people attribute that level of growth outside of themselves to god some deity some within themselves humanism spiritualism things like that which is fine to me that's all a part of the divine experience so for me to deny christianity exists or is useful to the planet would interesting enough deny <coughs> me of my philosophical positioning. I, I view it all necessary. Maybe coming at it from different vantage points, maybe a different revelation of it. Okay. But, uh, and, and I'll say this too, because I've said this in my private community. I, born and raised Christian. My grandmother was a Pentecostal holiness. I don't know if you know <laughs> what that is. But, oh, I do. But she's I, um, yeah, that was, I spent a long time <laughs> working with a lot of different churches. So, I yes. mean, we've, I've spanned the gamut. Um, some of my closest closest friends from my time in mm. the industry as far as developing AV systems and that kind of stuff were churches that I initially, when they contacted me, I went, ah, do I really want to get involved with this? Do I, you know, and I mean, one, for instance, was Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, yeah. Because for someone that grew up Southern Baptist and, you know, went in that realm of things, you hear Seventh Day Adventist, and if you don't know what it is, it's a cult. It's a cult. Yeah. It sounds scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, and then I'm a recovering Baptist, so that's why we're enjoying the whiskey while we're sitting here. <laughs> and it's great whiskey, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. But so I grew up Pentecostal holiness on one side. Okay. A missionary Baptist on the other side. Okay. Of things. So it was like almost two dichotomies, just completely different yeah. frames of reference, ways of thinking. It's just completely different practices, everything. My background, foundation is Christianity. That will always be a part of who I am, what made me. Uh, my grandmother, who is and was the biggest influence in my life, she seeded that type of Christian philosophy and spirituality in me. I will never deny that. Now, I, arguably, I have my opinions and thoughts on Christianity, and I've been very yeah. open about that and, um, and and will not sway from that. But it, it's funny because I've been also accused that I've hate, I hate Jesus, I hate Christianity. I'm like, I've actually have never ever really said that in the 30, three decades I've been doing this work. Now, what I have said is things that I feel maybe have, have been radical, sometimes taken out of context, um, Yeah, like where this is politics or something. <laughs> I've, I've said, like, you know... I've, There's nothing about politics going on in the world. Never, it's, nothing. This it's, is not... that. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've said things before, like, and I ho- still hold to it this day, if 
we are meant to be follow the example of Christ. If we're designed to be in the image and likeness of God, the creator, if we are meant to do greater works or take the example of as you know, the disciples saw Jesus doing miracles, so too should we. Then I take that to the farthest reaches of what that the possibility is. Yeah. Which means that if Jesus, you know, walked on water, if Jesus turned water into wine, if Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, then we should be thinking a cure to cancer and it should already be here. That there's too much power in the Christian community that is untapped. That a lot of church is the placating of mediocrity, is is the you know, continuing of conformity and continuing our comfort zone. That ultimately church is school. Church is a training ground. Church is the place that yes, you come and get recharged, but it is the place that you learn how to war up and be better. You, we should be better at this than Jesus was. And again, I've said that before, and I, I still say that today. It's very much like being a parent. I'm a parent of four kids. Arguably, sometimes, most of the time, a pain in the ass. But <laughs> there's still that part of me that says, you see me every single day. Yeah, You're with me. You process this. Everything ultimately is for me, but you get a benefit of it. You should see what I'm doing, take what I'm doing, and multiply it times 500. And if you don't, shame on you. So I have come with the church to say it, shame on us, because I still say I'm part of the church, although yeah. different vantage point, again, philosophy aspect of it, not going by Christian, but still a ministry of helps nonetheless. Yeah. I've said, you know, we have too many examples from Christ- Christianity to Judaism to Zoroastrianism to Mithraism to um, Sheikhism to Buddhism. I mean, you, you name it. We have too many examples that are encouraging our greatness, but n- very few that are trying to exercise it out of us. So that seems like I'm coming against the church when actually I'm actually calling the church, I feel, to a higher state of consciousness and beingness. What, what if the church, Christianity specifically, lived up to the words of, you know, and you shall be endued with power from on high and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall, you know, do miracles, you, signs and wonders. What, what happened to that part? Is it fable? Is it mythological? Is it mystical? Is it a suggestion? Or is it a command? So then my challenge for myself has always been over the years, okay, what happens if it actually is a real thing? Yeah. What what happens if it's not just a good story to make us feel better to not, you know, you know, commit atrocious murders or not commit suicide or not, you know, cheat on our taxes? Or what if it's just not about living a moralistic life, but what if it is about, you know, cultivating a life of miracles? How would that change? Yeah, how we look at religion. That's how pneumology kind of came to be. Well, and you look at you look at a lot of the Christianity that's out there, the different denominations, whether it's Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or you know all of these different Christian. It's a lot. Um, I'm gonna say sex to kind of segregate them, but you look at all these denominations, and there's things even within that that I see different things in each of them that I'm like, okay, I can buy into this. But then I also see things that I go, I'm pretty sure Jesus would go, that's bullshit. Oh, 100% and, I agree. And 100%. Because of that, <laughs> I think that's why you see a lot of our culture and a lot of our generation walking away from organized church. Yes. Specifically because... Our culture has become so cynical. 
we've become so realist as far as we we try to look at things like they are. Now you look at things that are going on now and you've also got these pressures of the media, you've got these pressures of social media and different justices and everyone is trying to go at it from an emotional standpoint. But at the end of the day, we can for the most part smell bullshit a mile away. I well, absolutely and agree. And because of that, instead of buying into something that we disagree with part of and agree with another part of, we just say, no, we're going to not buy into any of it. And yes. And that's why I see a lot of the church. I mean, I saw a statistic the other day that said the, because of COVID, because of the time that the church, that the church as a whole here in the U S has been shut down. They're looking at numbers that are, 40 to 50% will not rebound. And here's what I have a challenge. And again, I'm sure someone will take these words and change it into a, a very different narrative, and that's okay. It's actually part of the, the job. I want to address something you mentioned about Jesus and the original intent and mission. Yeah. One, because that's always been an argument. Then I always come back to say, well, none of us were there in the time of Jesus, so it's almost very impossible to even come up with that conclusion Uh, however being in the position i am right now where i am very actively i have my own philosophy and community around it i understand that challenge and that dilemma Uh, it's funny i was actually talking to our community about that this week to say there's going to be a time that when i'm not physically here i'm dead that someone's going to take my words a video i did uh, a text (laughs) that i wrote a book that was authored and they're going to weaponize it. I, I know this. I'm prepared for that. It was also one of my deepest fears before I even started yeah. on this journey I was, because I did not want that to happen like I've seen and do see now with so many different faiths. And here was the thing that I, I came to a level of clarity with in prayer and meditation was if you can get people to a greater experience of God like they haven't had before, does it make the slander against your work a good thing? The answer was yes. I was like, okay, well then you've got to get to a point, this is spirit, God talking to me, then you've got to get to a point that you're okay with people doing what they're going to do with your faith because you won't even be here to control it anyway. And hopefully you'll have a people that were here in this present space and they can kind of continue the journey like or tradition with Jews. And eventually there'll be a, a time, even as the scripture says, that they knew not, <laughs> you know, the gods of their forefathers fathers, and someone would not know me and four generations from here. Hopefully it's still in a level of integrity. If not, then I'm sure someone will rise to the occasion to try to <laughs> weather that storm that was ultimately created by my people. Yeah. Not because of me, though. It's just because people are people. But to kind of bridge that all the way back around, it is a lot safer to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's just to be restricted. I think that's probably one of the saddest experiences that I've ever seen with the church. Yeah. I would also argue, too, I mean, I tend to be a little bit more radical when it comes to situations like what we're dealing with right now. We've got the virus, quote-unquote, happening. <laughs> that That's another conversation we, for another, you know, when we talk about myths and legends and stuff. But um, 
you can read between the lines on that. Yeah, uh, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot it's of stories. Such a weird time. It's the weirdest it, thing. It's like we're concerned about health, but you went outside and then started smoking. I don't think you're that concerned about health. Yeah, but we can argue at this point later. But back to the point was that we're in this space right now, specifically with the church. Well, I would almost come from the position to say, okay, so someone has ordered the church to not open, that your numbers are dwindling by the thousands as this continues. When did we start seeing some version of radical Christianity as if Jesus were here? That's what always goes through my mind. So it's the church as a whole going to rise up and say, listen, we're going to open our churches. What are you going to do? Throw, I don't know all the statistics right now. Um, I'm sure Pew Research knows all the numbers. <laughs> but <laughs> I am fairly certain that there are easily more than 20,000, 30,000 Christians floating around the United States, arguably in the hundreds of thousands. I mean, what, Lakewood Church has, what, 14,000-ish? Yeah. Alone I mean, at Lakewood? So Lakewood can seat 16-9. Yeah. So, so I think we're... I think no the numbers-wise, yeah, no big deal. I then ask and say, okay, why is the church, Christian speaking, not standing up to say, listen, if faith is so strong or that important, why not collectively get together and say, we will not stand for this. We will always meet. Yeah. Why not do that? Why not go to jail for your faith? Why, why not? Now, see, this is where it gets a little tricky because people can argue this logically. It doesn't serve our faith to be in jail, that we need to obey the law of the land. Listen, I can talk in circles around this probably better than most preachers could. Yeah, well, and that's same here. There's there's so much there where I'm just wondering when are people going to start standing up? That's the question. Because I hear a lot of people saying, I don't agree with this. They do something. But yet they stand idly by. And... It, it's not even just a religion thing. I mean, it's a cultural 100%. shift where we are afraid of our government. Uh, 100% afraid of our government, and, which is a problem. And this is not someone that, like, I'm not coming from a place of defunding the police and, you know, less government is more. Actually, I'm a, a, a big fan of the police. <laughs> yeah. You know, continue to do their job. I'm a big fan of, you know, government, capitalism, the, the whole nine yards. So it's not even from that separatist space. But it is from a place of at some level, we've got to come to the reality and grips of do we actually believe what we keep saying that we believe? Yeah. Like, like, great example. I've said this before, and I don't mind talking about politics. Arguably, I think every politician, everyone that works in a government position has to stretch the, the boundaries and the lines of what many people would think is moral or decent. Yeah. And I think it's just part of the job. And I don't have a problem with that. It may not be in congruence with my ideology. Or my personal feelings, but I get the nature of the job. Yeah. Like, I don't want to know every time there's a terrorist attack or potential terrorist attack. I'm fine with going to Starbucks and just getting my, you know, mocha latte. Getting your mocha latte and moving on with life. And moving on with life, not being in shutdown. However, with that being said, I'm going back to to the president. I've said it before. Regardless of who is the president and how I feel personally about the president, he's still our president. And there needs to be a level of respect. And there needs to be a level of respect. And there needs to be a level of authority that says, listen, we've got to be united at some level. And it can't always be about our personal do's, don'ts, likes, and dislikes. Like, like for instance, I I was very honest. I didn't really vote for Trump at the first part. But I've said it then, and I stand by it now. 
then I said, if he becomes president, he will then be my president. Yeah. I said the same thing for President Obama, which I didn't vote for Obama. I said, but when he if he gets elected, he will be my president. He has my sword, 100%. You will not find me saying anything negative about him. Yeah, Because oh, absolutely. he's my president. Now, he might get caught into a lot of stuff, and he might say some crazy, stupid shit, and I get that because I say stuff. However, he's mine. Yeah. And I would dare you to say anything against him. That, But I have a strong sense of authority. I have a strong – I'm the same way with God. Listen, if I say I'm with God, I'm with God. There's no shifting and changing that. So you can raid the church if you like. This is where we stand. Yeah. And I see very little of that now to say you're convicted. It's, it's scary how little there is. It's like almost it's, non-existent. I, I look back at 2001. When um, when the towers fell, mm. and when all of that all of that party kicked off, right? I was in college, and yeah, mm. so that was almost twenty years ago now. Wow. There are people fighting overseas now that weren't alive then. When that happened, though, I don't remember people being one hundred percent for or against the president. We were for America. Yes. And even people that didn't necessarily agree with Bush Hmm. and didn't like Bush still understood that we were at a, we were at a very delicate time Hmm. and there was a bigger picture there than whether they agreed with everything he said. Fast forward to now, COVID hits, which, I mean, even though I don't necessarily agree with everything going on, I do agree that there's a virus. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's easy to see. Whether you agree with the numbers, I don't know. I saw a post from the CDC today um, that they have canceled tracking any of the influenza numbers this year. Oh, of course, because they because just canceled the flu, too. Of, be, yeah, so they're canceling the flu because of COVID. It's just a mutated strain. <laughs> That's, I mean, let's... But, you know, this is one of those times where we have to unify, and there, there's a lot of environments where I see some unification, but then there's a lot of animosity. And it's, it's this very polarizing effect Mainly brought up on, again, mainstream media, social media, political media. All of this stuff is playing together to try to split everybody apart when I think we're a lot closer than any of them would like us to be. But Absolutely. But we are blinded because we are – it's in our face all day, every day. You hate me, I hate you. And if you don't wear a mask, you want your people, your fellow neighbors to die. Yeah. Not, not so much, sir. Not not at all. Like, if something happened, we would run into a building for our Americans. It, like, don't – President Trump or any other president is not dividing us. No. Like, if anybody, I would say media, misinformation, fake news, whatever you want to call yeah. it, is the issue. Like, that's not – who we are at our our core and i know that i feel like every american knows that as well i think for i mean just the reality too all the information we're being fed are by people that are ultimately not even in the inner circle to know anyway like like i argue this with biden biden 
maybe when he was the vice president, he had a level of clearance and understanding and know what was happening. But he has no idea everything that's happening behind the scenes with this virus. And I'm of the opinion that, you know, President Trump wouldn't be even be able to share a lot of the information just from a lot of different dynamics. Yeah. So even trying to have a a debate and conversation about this with someone that's not in the note to me is stupid. But I've also argued I think it's stupid for us to televise our debates. Quite honestly, I don't think our I think it's like having a family conversation at home, how you speak to your wife, you know, how I speak to my husband, how other people speak to their spouses. Like, I'm sorry, that's just private information. We don't share that information out to Canada. You cannot look at that from on the BBC. This is a United States debate and yeah. conversation going on that's shared within family. We're family. So I can see some challenge with, with that. But ultimately, we kind of get to, back to the situation that we've got to stop letting everything else separate us from who we are at our core. Yeah. And just, I think a lot of it is conviction. Well, well, and that's exactly right. There's a lot of, or lack thereof. Yeah. And because of the lack thereof, there's this, um, there's this weird, like you either are saying F Trump or you're saying F Biden, but there's no civil discourse. Right. I think it's weird. Like I was it's talk- a it's a false conviction. It's a false it's, conviction. It's a false conviction is what it is. A hundred percent. Because like I was talking to someone on social media today and they made a great point which I was making as well. Like we're not we're not I'm not and I'm not encouraging any of my people to, like we're not losing relationships over political ideologies. No, like, absolutely one, not. hypocritical, stupid and immature. That's just dumb. Like our relationship is deeper than that. If there were, if we were going down to us separated and defriending, unfriending, separating relationships based upon that, then we have a a lot bigger problems yeah. as a human species than who you're voting for. Because it's almost from the perspective of, oh, if you voted for Trump, you're voting for racism. That is not the case like, no. at all. I have white friends, black friends, Buddhist friends, Christian friends, Hindu friends, like you name it. That and if somebody pulled over, I don't know, they were in an accident and their bumper sticker said Biden, I'm voting for Trump, but if their you know, bumper sticker said Biden, am I not going to help them? That, yeah, yes, exactly. I'm going to help them. It's not, like, we're not stopping decency and humanity because of how you choose to vote. And quite honestly, by Christmas time, none of us will be talking about this anyway. We'll move on to something else. Yeah. That's except in California. Except in where, California. <laughs> have you seen what they're doing? They're always for... doing crazy stuff. Like I heard the latest thing <laughs> is they were the governor was gonna start making people wear a mask in between chewing. So even Oh no, that's already a that's already a thing. It's already a thing? Yeah. See, I'm glad so... I moved out of California because I would be in jail probably <laughs> right now. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> the um stipulations that the governor released for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um oh no more than three households at a gathering. All ha- all gatherings must be outdoors. And okay. <laughs> oh, get this. It gets better. Mm. Um, everyone sitting together must be socially distanced. Oh. And you cannot be at a public place with multiple households with another gathering that you know people at. Wow. So it can't be your mine and Bill's house. In one gathering, and then across the field is three more households 
Like you gotta you gotta go to another park. I'm telling you, California has the weirdest laws. <laughs> I remember at one point they were regulating if you were when they were California's always in a drought. And when we lived there, they went through this whole regulation that if anyone was caught outside mowing their uh, well, not, not mowing, but watering their grass, they got fined and eventually oh, yeah. got in prison. I'm like, I'm paying for the water. Yeah. This is my house. It's an interesting dynamic when we talk about it. Because even in this situation, like, what are you going to do, Governor? Like, are you going to come to our house and invade our private property to count numbers? I mean, <laughs> you're here, half turkey. I mean, he'll, he'll get Pelosi to do it. Sure. I'm, she, I, she wouldn't mind doing it. She has nothing better to do. I mean, she might be over there getting a haircut or something. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is how we well, get in trouble. <laughs> Episode eight, and we're getting shut down. This Already get fun. shut down. And, and awesome. here comes DEA and FBI. Yeah. You're welcome. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, I mean, so there's, I mean, there's all this cultural strife. Too much. Every, everything's going on. And I, and I think what it comes down to is a fear. There's a fear of the unknown. Um, you can't find any good statistics, any good data on this whole coronavirus COVID thing, period. Mm-hmm. I, I went to the CDC website um, about a week ago, and spent probably three hours there trying to good for you trying to pull numbers. Well, I'm a numbers guy. I want to know how the numbers work, and my problem is they keep changing. You can pull numbers for cancer, influenza, different you know any kind of different disease out there, and you get the same data set, so that you you know. This correlates to this. So cancer is more deadly than this. This is more deadly. You know, and you can look at that data and it makes sense. And then there's the COVID data. And nothing, nothing adds up. It just it doesn't make sense. I mean, there's numbers there, but you can't correlate it to anything because none of it matches. I'm not surprised. It's (laughs) interesting. I'm in the camp that... Would I acknowledge a quote-unquote virus exists? I guess, yes. I'm not denying that a virus exists. Am I saying that it's completely thrown out of proportion? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Like, do I think that all of these – I still think it's the stupidest thing to wear a mask. Our skin is the most absorbent part of our body. And if somebody sneezed on you and it got on your skin, it's going into your body and your bloodstream just as fast as it would go in your nose. Yeah. And or I, your eyes, or your, or eyes, your ears, or your or, hair. I mean, you pick and name something. It's like I I get the illusion that you putting your shirt above your mouth and nose is somehow gonna help you. <laughs> I just can't make it make sense. Again, I'm too logical of I, a, of a person to for you to try to convince me of that. And, and more importantly, I guess the, here's the the other challenge. I likely wouldn't have a problem if this was a, I don't know, a, a ordinance regulation that everyone was following and we didn't have as much animosity around it. But the challenge, I guess, going back to religion, this is why I am a big fan of religion and spirituality, is that religion keeps the most evil, innate, cruel, inhumane parts of us at bay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what it's always funny when people talk to me about religion because sometimes, as radical as I am, the sometimes the position is that I'm somehow against other religions and faiths and you know 
I'm the Antichrist. And I actually am on a heretic watch. I think I'm on a couple now, which is kind of fun. Oh, nice. It's, it's actually it's a badge yes. of honor. I love it. <laughs> Why not? But it, it is. Because people ask me before, like, well, what do you think about, like, you know, Pastor Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick or Benny Hinn or, you know, R.W. Shambach, whoever. You know what? Despite of the things that happen in every industry, yep. religion included, people are people. And I can make that distinction very, very easily. Two, no one is in the space of religion and spirituality without a desire to ultimately help people. No one. There are better things to do. I could be a drug dealer and make more money. Yeah. I could honestly do a hell of a lot of other things that were a lot more peaceful, a lot less traumatic and controversial, and have a hell of a lot better life. No one is in religion and spirituality. I would even argue, even in politics to a degree, if they didn't have a desire to help. Now, is there power that comes along with it? Sure. Is there profitability that comes along with that? Sure. But no different than the manager working at McDonald's. They have power. They also have more money than the, <laughs> the shift leader if they are the general manager. S- such is the nature of every promotion. But when we look at religion, I really believe and see that religion keeps a lot of the things that we're seeing right now at bay. I feel that we have a lot of the anarchy we have right now because they close churches down. Yeah. A hundred percent. Oh, we, absolutely. Because people are not in there Wednesdays or Saturdays if you're Seven Day Adventist or <laughs> our Jews, you know, which we love you, and or if you're, you know, Sundays for most other faiths, because people don't have that continual indoctrination, inspiration, you know, and initiatives going on, where then kind of left to ourselves and boredom. I hundred percent believe creates fear. Boredom creates um, other illusions that are don't exist. And what happens is we have a lot of emotions and behaviors that are misdirected. Yeah. And I, I will say, hands up, like, well, you closed the church that's down. it's been building. It's been building. Like, you shouldn't have closed the church down. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's been building over the past few years. Mm-hmm. We've seen an animosity. Um, that was already existed prior already to Trump. Existed. If we can just be clear. Yeah, prior to Trump. <laughs> prior, prior to Trump. I mean, and you see these, you see these organizations that are social justice style organizations Mm -hmm. and Marxist groups, Marxist groups, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call them. I, you know, you see them out there and their claim is to help better society. But while riding started wars. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. I don't know how you're bettering society when you're destroying it. Yeah. I don't get that. And you're looting and your people are fighting, looting, just and killing just as much as police are. And you're getting funding from a lot of the same sources that you're demonizing the president for, which he hasn't got. Yeah. So uh, it's an extremely hypocritical, violent positioning. And it's dangerous. It's not just dangerous in the short term. It's dangerous in the long term for the degradation of culture. 100%. And that's what scares me. Really, out of everything right now, the, the burning cities and that kind of stuff, um, I don't like it. I I don't think anybody does. But I think what scares me more about it is the long term. Yes. What it, if it's this bad now, what's it going to be next year? What's going to be 5 years from now? Right. You know, we've we both got small kids. I've got a 19-month-old. Bless your heart. Uh <laughs> what's she growing up in? What's Anarchy. my 4-year-old growing up Anarchy. in? Anarchy. And how can I you know, when I was when I was their age, when I was five or six, 
I used to get on my bike, ride down to my buddy's house. We'd get on our bikes and we would literally ride through the back of our neighborhood, then hit the power lines and follow the power lines for like two, three miles up the road. And our parents wouldn't see us. There were no cell phones. I mean, there, there was no, my dad had a cell phone. It was a bag that weighed about 30 pounds and sat next to him. And I'm not that old. I remember and, those. You know? Yeah. And unzip so, it. And that's going back to, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. And nowadays, we don't even let our kids play outside unless we can physically watch them the entire time. And, and, and that's really in a hear good them neighborhood. As well. Yeah. And that's in a good neighborhood. Yep. If it's that bad now, what's it looking like in 20 years? Oh, it, it's going to be it's going to be a completely different situation than how we grew up. I mean, I, it's funny. I grew up in the South. I grew up um, where the KKK still marched for parades. It, my grandmother, Black, uh, when she was living, she used to clean and cook for the white people in the home. I grew yep. up in areas like that. So it's always very Where'd interesting. You grow up? Actually, near Liberty University, uh, <laughs> in, near Lynchburg, about mm, 35, 40 miles south. In a small town called Gretna, Virginia. Oh, you were in Gretna. Gretna. All right. Yeah, yeah just pass on through. Ain't no big thing, but it's growing. <laughs> on the way down to Greensboro. On the way down to Greensboro, passing Danville. Yep. So that's where I grew up in. And I grew up in a community where it was an interesting time. Now, again, I always have to condition this because someone will take this out of context, um, as they always do. Am I, gonna, am I saying that racism and and discrimination doesn't exist. No, it clearly does. Am I saying that what has happened to a group of people um, compares to, you know, anything I'm going through? No, clearly people were enslaved and, and raped and beaten and et cetera. And not just African-Americans, Jews were that way and a lot of other cultures as well. So yeah. um, with that being said, I did grow up in a culture where racism was a thing. Discrimination was a thing. If, if anything, it was more of a, like a social a classism kind of experience than anything else. Yeah, I, I grew up in communities like that. And I also grew up understanding that these were also our neighbors. Yeah. That despite how they personally felt or they their religious views were, they were still, their kids still went to school with us. We still played with them. Yeah. It, it was, it's interesting to get people to understand that type of culture. I remember one of my girlfriends, it was, a very vivid experience. He was in the KKK very actively and very known. And I remember the first time I went to her house in Pittsville, Virginia, mm-hmm. not too far away from Gretna. Yep. And he came to the gu- the house, um, the door with a shotgun. You know, we're going to have a problem, boy. No, sir. No, sir. <laughs> we're not going to have a problem. You know. And I knew what he meant by that. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. My, my grandmother grew up in that. Co- we all grew up in that culture. And, uh, some would say that she was in pretty much like a slave type of position. But arguably, she had more white people at her funeral than anything else. The, yeah. the white people that she took care of, their houses, their their um, children, and then their grandchildren, still to this day, take very good care of our family. We, we want for nothing if we're in the area. They are probably more protective of me than my own family, as far as that goes. And we understood, and, and she had a, and does still have a special place in their heart. It's when people talk about racism, discrimination, 
again, notwithstanding the other very severe things that go on, it's just not the full picture. No. Of what's out there. No different than, you know, I'm sorry, Brianna Taylor and that whole situation. I'm sorry. You're dealing with a lot of these situations that people are in very challenging neighborhoods. Yeah. One. And having worked with in places like that, I understand the nature of it. We used to work. I used to work with um, as a chaplain in California. I also, in Pennsylvania County in Virginia, used to work with our sheriff's office. So I used to go with them and be in situations like that. Those, those environments are extremely charged. Before. Before the cops get there. They're not, and all that information is not shared publicly. And to be in those charged situations, I'm sorry, I'm going to shoot first before someone kills me and leaves my family without me. Yeah. That's just real talk. Now, well, people could translate that how they, they want to, but that's just the reality. I'm sorry. Most of these people have criminal records. Most of them are in shady communities anyway. We can call that social, social divides or systematic racism if we want to. That's whatever we want to say. But the reality is it's not a one-sided story. No, and I don't think it ever is. It never I, is. You know, I did a I did a interview here recently where I straight up said I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I'm Likewise. I wasn't involved in the Breonna Taylor case. I wasn't involved in um, any of the cases that have gone on this year, there's a lot of details that we don't know. Yeah. I now do I think that police reform needs to happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a lot that can happen, but I don't think defunding is the answer. I I don't think that taking away the capability to train and taking away the capability for the police to protect people is the answer, because that's I mean. I know a lot of cops and I know, I mean, I know a lot of cops, both local cops. I knew federal agents. I know U S marshals and a lot of them are black guys. And I'll be honest over the last few months, a lot of them have been on edge because they're scared for their lives. Oh, absolutely. And, and a lot of the animosity stems from this i think it goes back to this lack of knowledge and lack of understanding of what's actually involved in these situations and you know the yes racism exists and yes slavery was horrible I feel like we've come a long way. We have come a long way. And we need to give ourselves credit as a culture and again notwithstanding those things happen but such is the nature of any civilized culture. We go through growing pains. It's just like a family. Yeah. Like the shit that people do at their home, they would dare never share that stuff out in public because we know how that would be. We'd be criticized. Some of us would be in jail. There'd be a whole <laughs> lot of other things that would happen. Uh-huh. And then if it's like, or like having children, like I've got four kids. You know, the first child, you're very protective. You know, don't eat the sand, blah, blah, blah. And then once you get to that third or fourth child, you're like, listen, honey, and you know, it ain't gonna kill him. It ain't that deep. It ain't. It ain't gonna oh, kill him. She's em. licking the asphalt again. Oh, you know they ate a cigarette butt. <laughs> uh, you know they'll poop it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's, what you learn is that while time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds, time does provide a level of growth. Yeah. Which we're not a new. We're still a fairly new country. Like when we look at numbers, us compared to Great Britain or Africa or. 
you know, Korea, a lot of other cultures, we're we're on the low totem pole when it comes to that. So a lot of the things that I feel that we have we're seeing and have seen are just honestly just cultural growing pains. Now, am I saying it's right? No, absolutely not. But quite honestly, you know, this is the path. This is the process. And you know, if anything, let's respect those that grew up in a time that we weren't as refined. And hopefully we can do their lives justice. We can do our ourselves justice as we're moving forward and do it in a way that we understand. Like we're not enemies here. We have different opinions and we, we love different things. We love different people. We have different ways of processing our faith. And that's great. Would I want a community of people without their faith? No. Absolutely not. No. No, I don't care what your faith is. Uh, what I do care about is you've got something that is pushing you on at some level, cultivating a. a what is driving you to be. What's driving better, you to be better? To and, get to the next level. And in your without life. that, I would be fearful about where we would be as a society. And so yeah, it's always, again, I say interesting because I'm the last person that says, like, get rid of the religions. Like, people are saying, get rid of you know, defund the police. No, let's not do that. I also come from the perspective of you can't legislate morality. Yeah. I don't care. Even if you don't put, if we got rid of all the police in the world, here's the reality. We'll just turn into a police state and we'll start policing ourselves. That's all that will happen. So everyone that has guns right now, will be our own sheriff, which means what? more anarchy in the streets it's just we need to have a central body we need to have some unity something we agree on that while it's not perfect it is our system it is our country well and and laws don't make better people no they do not i mean we've we've got laws we we tend to think of ourselves as a amazing culture but we also have one of the highest incarceration rates i think it's the highest it's i think it's the highest per capita capita in the world which is a tragedy for us. Which, I mean, to look at those numbers, that tells me that we are a worse culture than any other country in the world. Now, do I believe that we are a worse culture? Absolutely not. No. Um, but, but I think that's a good sign that maybe we're not getting it right on all accounts. Maybe we need to look deeper into the why behind what we're doing. I I I completely agree with that. I, when I run for president in the next election, <laughs> you heard it here first. One of the things I I said I said you know we should absolutely stop the way we're doing this dog and pony show of a political election. It's the most chaotic thing on both ends. Yeah. To be fair, it's the most unnecessary thing. If if we just took it, I'll give you one better. Even if we said, listen, we're just going to change the our rules, our laws to say now presidents are here with eight terms. Just think of the money that we would save every four years from politicians vying for the office, pretty much buying their, trying to buy their way into the office. Yeah. Do you know how many multi-millions of dollars we have unnecessarily spent for fucking campaigns and TV spots and canvassing most of which is going to end up in the streets and polluting our environment, but that's another argument for another day. Oh, it's billions. Billions of dollars. Billions of pollution. uh, Unprecedented division and separation. That money could have gone to homeless 
That money could have gone to treatments and more research for cancer. That money could have gone to helping out, you know, families that have been displaced from hurricanes. That money could have gone to so many other fucking other places that we're arguing, we're, we're fighting about the wrong stupid stuff. Yeah. Like, fact-checking whether somebody, what somebody said was actually true. Okay, Biden said three, 200 million people have died of COVID versus 200,000. <laughs> fucking semantics. And I'm not even voting for the, the kid. Yeah. It's like, this is... There's more to it there's than that. There's more to it than that. This cannot be all that humanity has to offer by way of the United States. Like, can we clearly wake up? We could have turned our whole nation around literally in one generation in the span of four to eight years with that money alone. And that's the kind of vision that I sound like I'm running for politics <laughs> right now. <laughs> when I, Vote for me is a vote for progress. <laughs> but that's the kind of just sheer lack of conviction and concern that drives me bananas. It's like no one else sees this but us or but me like it's it's weird it's like and at the end of the day let's just be honest even if biden becomes president you guys are going to hate him too just like you hated obama just like you hated trump just like you hated bush and the the list goes on somebody's going to hate this and at the end of the day he's still the leader of the free world how about you get on board how about we find a way to support him? How about you just take care of your own little community? How about you tell me um, who you voted for in your primary election for um, the third district of your city? You probably don't even know who that is. Yeah. You probably don't even know who's in running for, you know, the school board. But yet, we feel like we know everything about the president of the United States who holds the highest office in the land. That's just an illusion. No, we don't. Well, and and I feel like we vote <laughs> For somebody because they're not somebody else. 100%. I feel like everything, and I see it especially in this election. Yes. Uh, more we did so for than Obama, any too. Other. I mean, you know. Obama, yes. And even even Bush Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, and we vote for somebody because they're not the other person. Right. And Which is these stupid. campaigns, I've been listening to these campaigns for the last six months, and it's. Trump is saying, I'm not Biden. And Biden's saying, I'm not Trump. And I'm going, I don't give a shit. Tell me what you're doing. Right. Tell me what you actually want to accomplish. Tell me what you have accomplished. Right. Biden Biden was in the Senate for 47 years. 47 years. Right. Tell me, why hasn't his platform been, over the last 47 years, this is what I've done. Right. I've not heard. Because he hasn't. He hasn't. Which is a problem. And, And... Trump, although I agree with a lot of the socioeconomic things that he's done, I think you look at his record over the last four years and it's kind of plain. The the politicizing has been, I'm not Biden. Right. And I'm saying, shut up and just tell me what, who you are. Tell me who you are, not who you're not. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the, like I'm saying it right now. I'm going on record. This is probably great for you if I run president next you know next cycle or what you know i don't know i may aim for something higher than the president of the united states but i've already said like listen i'm sorry you're not going to see me running in, in campaigns it's a waste of money yeah. it's a waste of, you're going to vote for me you, you figure out how to do it 
and go from there. The money that we would have raised for a campaign, we'll put it towards some other kind of efforts. I don't know. Yeah. He'll get us out of the trillion dollar deficit that we're in, or let's just go ahead and take care of the 70,000 homeless people that are in LA. I don't know. We'll figure out somewhere else when to put that LA, money. I mean, there, there's a prime example. You were talking about local. No, right. you're local. Lo- right. Um, or the listening. three hundred thousand three hundred thousand kids that are in child protective services and foster care right now. How about we take all that money and put it towards you know teachers or funding our school system? Like I can find so many other places. Now I know how somebody will say it. You're being irresponsible. People have always campaigned. Yes, and you guys have wasted billions of fucking dollars. Yeah. To still lose. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Bloomberg. Bloomberg. I mean, <laughs> I mean, all the other twelve. Ca- how many ever candidates we had? Eleven. I mean, it candidates. liquidated some of his cash, but you know that's a that's a that's, different story for another day. Right. So anyway, all that to say is like you know we have our priorities so out of line, and it's just I'm not opposed to people being emotionally charged and trying to find some way to make their difference and mark in the world. I get that. Yeah. I think that people are also overlooking the very simple things they could do. Like, for instance, how about going to the grocery store and not fussing and cussing at people for not wearing masks or for wearing masks? How about we do that? Or how about the next Let's time? Let's not vilify people because they don't agree with us. Right. How about the next time that you're passing someone that needs their um, tires changed, that you actually pull over and stop and help them? How about you do that? Yeah. There's so many other ways that we can leverage our time our energy our passions that has nothing to do with us talking about the things we disagree with we all have disagreements about something all of us oh yeah that's somebody i'm we're drinking this nice little glass i'm almost done uh what is this whiskey or scotch uh that one's like whiskey scotch. oh scotch i i'm drinking rye you're drinking scotch oh well, so we're know, all over the board well, tonight cheers it's good i don't know whatever <laughs> there's somebody right now watching this like oh my god they're spiritual they're drinking you know what and i love you still i'm still gonna drink this and you yeah. can drink your water or kombucha or ginger ale, whatever you want to drink. It's cool. And I would still invite you over to the house. We're still cool. It is not oh, that, absolutely. It's not that deep. And I say that on every level. It's like, give us time. We can find something to disagree with, which is plenty. I am more concerned with how do we move the needle forward with the disagreements that we have and how do we ultimately make this experience better? How do we bring civil discourse back to the culture? As a, yes. that I think that right there. Um, you know, you go back 100 years, and they had the bars. They, You know, they yeah. had – and then you go back 20 years, and we had the coffee houses. There's not that. Right. And COVID has done a really good job of making sure there's definitely not that. Which is um, very sad for the coffee lovers out there. Well, and I think that's part of the reason that there is such animosity because we can't sit around and have a drink and have a civil discussion with somebody that we disagree with and get over our bullshit right? and say, hey, I disagree with you. The, the one place I see that is when I'm at the cigar lounge. Yeah. The bars used to be that. Used the be, bars used to be that. Yeah, we would go there and we disagree. You know what? I hate everything you stand for politically. You're asshole. I can't believe you're voting for that loser. But let me buy you a drink, my friend. Yep, shots, <laughs> shots. Bring, bring all, them on. All of, yeah. yeah, that's just how we we would do it. Which is why I used to love going to the bar. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's actually that's a perfect analogy. To me, 
religion at its highest and spirituality at its best can be that. Yeah. It's like, okay, you believe that some cool guy died in a tomb and then he rose from the dead. That's sci-fi shit there. Cool. I, you know what? But let's ask a deeper question, which is how does what you believe enhance and enrich your life? Yeah. How does what you believe keep you from blowing your brains out? How does what you believe cause you to be a better spouse, a better parent, a better citizen? Let's talk about that because I don't care how weird it seems philosophically or religiously. It's helping you at some level. Yeah. Let's talk about how you were about to commit suicide, but then you found the light or you turned on the TV and saw some televangelist and it <laughs> kept you from jumping off the bridge. Tell me about that because you'd be surprised. We probably have more in common than what you realize. Yeah. And it, for me, it may not have been Jesus. It may it may have been, I don't know, a drink. <laughs> and I get that. And somebody else is going to say, well, you know what? Drinking is bad. Well, you know what? Drinking probably saved somebody else's life. And then they, thank you. And then all, yeah, all of a sudden they became, uh, we have to keep that going. And then that drink caused them to build a, I don't know, a worldwide distillery or something. And now they're giving millions of dollars to the homeless or to charities. Like, can we have a different conversation about what we disagree about? Yeah. That's just not relevant with me. We're going to find something. You know what? I think, let's just be real. I think people that cook, you know, ham for Thanksgiving are, are just weird. Like, why would you have ham for Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is the turkey day. Yeah. That, that's unquestionable. Like, you just don't do that. And well, so, and let's, let's be honest. The best part of turkey is the day after. Thank you. Absolutely. And so people that don't eat turkey after like Thanksgiving, like you're just weird. Like I don't Yeah. That's a disagreement. No, it's a funny disagreement. It's a funny one. But I, I still hold to my opinion that, you know, we don't do ham for Thanksgiving. We do it for Christmas. Christmas yeah. Christmas gonna have ham. Christmas ham. Christmas ham. But it's funny. To me, even things that we disagree with, even if they're emotionally in charge, we can still have that same type of, you know, funny banter discourse back and forth and still be just just okay i mean i come from the the ideology too that says you know what yes racism discrimination whatever exists what if you're the person that helps somebody else see a different path yeah through what if i'm i'm black you can't really see that because this is a podcast (laughs) but i am african-american black i'm also native american that's another conversation what if I'm the one that helps somebody work through their racism? Now, I say that in a question mark, but the reality is I've actually had that yeah. throughout the course of my life. But people have said, listen, I've always disliked black people or I've had these feelings about black people. You have changed how I feel about that. Well, and I think okay. that goes both ways. It does go both ways. I, I think there's a... That couldn't have happened had I not sat down with exactly. that person. And that's what I have to challenge with. Like, listen, racism is a two-part story. That's not a one-way thing, people killing other people of a minority. That also works when you're in, incapable, incapable or unwilling to sit down and have a conversation with people that disagree with you or that even could be detrimental to you. That's just as worse because you're impeding the, the process of healing. Yeah. So you're just as fault, at fault as the person that is perpetuating the racism, at least on my end. Well, and the stereotypes. The stereotypes. There's so many stereotypes out there that people think, in in all races, right? that a lot of times those aggressions are because of stereotypes. 
whether they be true or whether they be true now. Because some of them are older thoughts and antiquated ideals and just, you know, you've got that. Then you've got the people that there's a stereotype and then they meet someone that doesn't fit that stereotype. It flips the entire paradigm on your head. And right. and you've got to look at things from a different angle. Right. So it takes having to see something from a different angle. Right. And again, I'm not asking people to not have a, an opinion or a, a preference, so to speak. Uh, great example. This is this has been a very real and present experience with me. It happened actually today. I was going to Lowe's, and I parked. My mom was with me. And she hates when I do this, but I parked all <laughs> the way, like, I don't know, 25 miles away from the, the front door. And I yeah. parked away over from all of the cars. So like over crap. next to Salsarita, far away. And they're closed. Nobody's over there. It's just me. And, yeah. and why did I do that? Because I have a Mercedes. Yeah. I've actually got three Mercedes. Um, we actually have four. We also have a Chrysler minivan. Um, <laughs> that's a family car. We, we don't care about that. But I parked there because I have a very Humble nice bride. car. Humble brag. It's a humble brag. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I'm actually, I have no problem talking about money. I believe every spiritual leader should be filthy rich because it's through that we change the world. Anyway, that's another capitalist conversation. Yeah. And so I parked away from all the other cars. And my mom knows me by now. But in context to the story, I said, well, I'm not parking next to this person's car. They don't, they don't care about their car. Why would they care about my car? Exactly. Yeah. So their car is beaten. And it's not a judgment or criticism or condemnation. It's just it just is facts. Like your car is shitty. You don't care about hitting my car because you don't care about your car. Yeah. So I see the dings on your door. I see the dings on your door. So <laughs> you're the person that's going to ding my car up and then drive off. Yeah. So I'm just going to save everybody the trouble and us fighting and a whole bunch of other issues. I'm just going to park over there and I will gladly walk. I need to exercise anyway. Now. I could easily say, you're judging. Yes, I am. You're discriminatory. You're, it's a classism thing. What a, you're, whatever. Sure, yes, to all of that. Now, here's the funny thing about this. I probably met that person in Lowe's, and we had struck up a great conversation. Yeah. And I'm just type A honest person enough. I would, if he walked out, to, or she walked out to the car, and I would say, you know, I almost parked there, but I saw your car. But I decided not to do that because, you know, let's just be real. Like, I didn't want you hitting my shit. <laughs> we would laugh about it. It would be the funniest thing. But yeah. here's the funny thing. I would also put them in my car and drive them to the grocery store to pay to spend $500 or $1,000 on them if they needed food. Yeah. I'm also the person that if they ran into an issue, I would get their car towed. They could be a homeless person smelling like poop as far as I care. They would still be in my Mercedes. Why? Because... Decency is the priority, not how I view and what distinctions or differences that we have. That's the issue I have with people is that everyone has judgments or opinions or preferences. Sure, I expect for that to be the case. Yeah. How you manage that is actually what we're talking about. You could be a pro mask or, or no mask. I'm just still asking, can we have a level of decency to, to still understand that that's somebody's mom? That's somebody's brother. That's somebody's sister. If you said that to my mom, I'm telling you, it'd be a fight. Yeah. Just hands down. It, it's not even about the mask at this point. It's about that's my mom. Yeah. Like you're just not gonna disrespect for her, her like that. I don't care. I don't care if you are the governor or whoever you are. That that's you picked the wrong person. Like, but we don't even have to go there. It's unnecessary. Like, can we use our powers for good? That's that's always the question. Can we? 
do we have the capability to do that? I believe we have the capability. I believe that we need a catalyst to remind us of that. Yeah. All the times. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think this is where in war, unfortunately, in natural disasters, we rise to the occasion. Yeah. We, we always do. We all, I feel we always will, hopefully. You know, if there's or when there's ever an alien invasion, we will rise to the occasion and no one will care who the president is. No. As, as long as Will Smith's behind As long the as Will Smith is behind <laughs> the helm. Just <laughs> Independence Day. Yes. Well, and I think that's, I think that's a good place for us to yeah. kind of settle out. I at the end of the day, good will prevail. God, and I think we yes. need to remember that because there's there's a lot of crap that's happened this year, and I don't think it's over. Unfortunately, I, it's not. I see a train wreck. We are currently seven days from. They say the biggest election of our lifetime. Every election, but this Every one, election. I'm going, holy crap, this could change things. Yeah. One way or another. And we don't know. We don't know. But good will prevail. Yeah. And I just hope that everyone that's listening to this, well, one, thank you very much for having me. Oh, absolutely. So that's one. Two, thank you for everyone listening. I always appreciate when people lend us their ear and their mind for a few minutes. But, you know, I... One of the things I usually always leave people with whenever I'm doing any kind of interviews or conversation is, you know, you're not in trouble. You're just in transition that despite what's happening right now. And and unfortunately for the people that have died um, during this this time frame. And again, no matter what the death, the actual cause of death was, I don't care if it was COVID or the flu or, or the common cold. Death is death. Someone yeah. lost a mom. Someone lost a dad. Someone lost. Somebody. Someone lost. And so I, I still, with all sincerity, say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that we're in this state as a species again. But we can do better. Yeah. We, we need to do better. We have to do better. And, and despite who's in office, despite how we believe, despite, you know, our personal religious ideologies, we've got to come to a, a some point that says, you know, if we kill each other, what's our faith worth? Yeah. If we are constantly, you know, demonizing and discriminating against each other, like what's the value of our religion, our our faith, our belief system? At some level, we've got to realize that we still need each other. Yeah. Differences and all. And, yep. and I think that's our challenge moving forward is to say, can can you still hold to your faith in a way that is not damaging or demeaning to another group of people? And still helps to move the needle forward progressively. Yeah. And I believe we can. And I believe in, in the best of times and, and, and the will. worst of times, we will. Yeah. Just give us time. We'll get there. Let's just get there faster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot faster. <laughs> Calvin, it's been a blast. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. And Absolutely. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for everyone listening. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. And so, yes, it's great. It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a blast to make. We love what we're doing here. Again, 
Thank you so much for everything you've done to help grow this channel. We are all over the country already, and we are going to the world. So, again, remember, theurbanroaster.com. Tell your friends about us. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. And also, always remember, www.vcr.coffee. Use coupon code urbanroaster and get yourself a bag of VCR coffee. I promise you won't regret it. Have a great night, guys. Welcome to the new delusion. Welcome to the new delusion. Your mind is your institution.